Welcome to Season 4 of the Unscripted Podcast, a podcast by medical students about living and learning at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. On the show, we host a variety of discussions such as navigating the preclinical and clinical years, exploring humanism in medicine, and developing our physician identities outside of the textbook. Check out the show notes or our website for more information, helpful links, resources, and more. Please connect with us via email or on Twitter at unscripted underscore med. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope you enjoy the show. From competing in the Olympic trials to authoring a novel, with a second one on the way, Terry Miles has really done it all. On this episode, she is here to share some of the wisdom she has gathered through all of her experiences. As a member of the LGBTQ community, Terry shares the importance of advocacy, reflections on both positive and negative experiences in healthcare, and how best to be a good ally as a medical student. One of Terry's goals is to serve others with joy, and that is absolutely apparent throughout this episode. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Molly with the Unscripted Medicine Podcast, and I'm here today with Terry. Hi, Terry. Hi, Molly. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited you're here. Um, could you just introduce yourself for everyone, maybe provide a little bit of background and your story? Okay. Um, uh, my name is Terry Miles. I go by Terry. Uh, and I, gosh, I am a Ohio native as of 2013. I moved here in that year from Chicago area for one year, but uh, had the previous 26 in Northern Wisconsin. So this is tropics to me. <laughs> um, I, I really love the area. Um, I've been getting deeply into um, LGBTQ activities with uh, things like a foundation that I've put together. We just received 501c3 approval. Uh, there's just a whole lot of things going on in the community that I'm excited to be a part of. And uh, I was forced into retirement last July, a year ago, July actually, in 21, and uh, ready to make some sense of my last chapter of my life and make it real. So, Absolutely. And you said your foundation just received 501c approval. So congratulations. Right. Um, you. Can you tell us a little bit about your foundation? Yeah, I, you know, people would ask me during the last few months of the career before we retired, um, what your plans were for the rest of your life. And I said, well, I'm not going to be sitting around gathering dust. I intend to make this probably the most appropriate and useful part of my life ever. It's finally got some meaning. So to hold some ground to that um, and have a legacy, I've uh, established a foundation that will support the LGBTQ community in greater Cincinnati, mainly to help fund and maybe, if I'm lucky, to open and build and open, if that's possible, a safe center for the community. Um, the target population isn't necessarily stated as such, but largely uh, the adult community is kind of ignored. Uh, we focus so much of attention and support systems and agencies on youth, which is appropriate, but we don't really bring up the, um, the unwritten uh, the, the folks that have been out outed at work or uh, unemployed because of, of coming out, all sorts of things. And to me, that needs to be brought to the attention of other factions locally and to start supporting them. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's some amazing work. I'm excited to see how it progresses. Um, And I know that we've talked previously and I've read some excerpts from your book, but if you had to give a little bit of a summary or some highlights from your story in your book that you'd like to share with us today, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. And I tell many people it will never be a bestseller because I'm not marketing it for that reason. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I've seen people that will do that. They'll put books out and and do wonderful in sales, but that's not my motive here. It's to get the message out as learnings for the community from things that I've gone through in my six decades of life. Um, I didn't officially, shall we say, come out to the world um, until my separation from my employer a year ago, July, but I was out to essentially friends in most of society locally since I moved here in 13. But that's a long time. And that doesn't mean every child or person has to wait that long and nor, nor should they. But there's some learnings I've gotten that I thought I would it would be worthy of pa- collecting and passing on. Uh, the book is a memoirs. It's um, a kind of a snapshot of my life. I refer to it as a of I'll say a quick read, but it's a deep read, which mm-hmm. means you'll need to spend some time to absorb it. But um, it's only, I don't know, it's less than 300 pages, but it does, I think, get the point across. Uh, it's re- it's called Hiding in Plain Sight, uh, which kind of uh, sums up what I did for the first six decades of my life. But um, the, I'm working on a second, a sequel to it, if you will, called uh-huh. Full Disclosure which is essentially the what happens after one comes out completely name change all the all the finer finer things um so it's a, it's an exercise in self therapy and mm-hmm. i strongly encourage people that uh, have an inkling to tell a story everybody has a story and telling it is powerful stuff it really is so yeah absolutely well i will be on the lookout for your second book to come out um, I know I have here swimming and track plug. Did you want to share anything about swimming or track in your history? Yeah, there's probably not a lot of people that remember this that are alive today. <laughs> uh, I got into swimming big time when I was, that was really, uh, there's a chapter in the second book called Fluid Power, the importance of water in my life. And oh, it was my medium of solitude, of centering, of I, I refer to it in the, in the first book as the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a way to, to be yourself and no one else cares. And you can express yourself in any way you want. It was a lot of silence, although they did later in, in my swimming career invent radios underneath the water. That was a different thing. Oh, wow. I didn't get that in high school swimming. You guys must have been lucky. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it was a different story. Every time you flip <laughs> turned, you lost the station. So, oh no, was, yeah. Um, I ended up swimming in the uh, some pre-trial events in uh, 1972, pursuing Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an outstanding summer of mine. I was 16 years old, and I went from a nobody to a contender. And that's I didn't make Munich. Um, not sure my parents would let me go anyway. But, um, I. Really, really enjoyed it. It was uh, working out at that age with college kids was definitely a life changer. That was pretty neat. I have to know, Um, what was your stroke? 
Uh, my best event was 200 free, 200 meter free. Um, That's the one event that I never got to do in high school. And I always swear that I would have been the best at that, but I was, I was not good as I did for the exercise. <laughs> it's, there's nothing easy about it. It was probably, well, nowadays, uh, they refer to it as a, as a, a sprint before mm -hmm. essentially it was, uh, in long course, I preferred that better. Cause that was only four laps, uh -huh. long laps, but long, just laps, um, I trained for the 1650 in college for six oh, months. Wow. I, was, I was a walk-on and in the short course pool, that's like 65 turns. I did not enjoy that. So I didn't stay in it very long. I went through college in three years. Oh, wow. Um, track was a little bit different. I enjoyed it for much the same reasons as swimming. It was a solitude. It was an individual sport. And you got that time to judge yourself. Essentially, mm -hmm. you were running against yourself. Um, I tried a marathon once and I didn't do very well at it. And I swore I'd never do it again. It ruined my knees. And I focused on track at that point. And my, um, my event of choice was the half mile. So that, and I ran my claim. It's not really a claim to fame, but I remember running at a meet in the Illinois Armory in Champaign, Illinois, uh, indoor track with uh, then- Rick Wilhuter. Rick was the American record record holder of the half, half mile at that time. Wow. And I was just happy to be on the same lap as him. <laughs> I would be too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, now that we know a little bit about you, I'd love to hear a little bit about more about like why the topic of allyship and advocacy is important to talk about from your perspective. It's huge. It is absolute. I don't know of any other topic in the LGBTQ community that is any more important, mm -hmm. except perhaps all the litigation that's now transphobic against us. Uh, that's. But apart from that, um, having a support system is immensely important. Um, I didn't really have that luxury growing up. For one, you just didn't ask that question at my age. Um, it wasn't. And and I refer to it as in the book as a post-World War II Stepford mode. Uh, it was very, you acted a certain way because you were expected to act a certain way. And you did mm -hmm. not change that. You didn't ask questions. It was, that's the way it was. So with that said, I think there's just um, no substitute for having people with you in that journey. Uh, this is not an easy journey, and everybody has one. Uh, it's not just focused on the LGBTQ community, but it's absent of family or a family that takes exception to your announcement, uh, and maybe your school does. Having any any single or hopefully multiple advocates or allies is hugely important. Mm -hmm. um, it will... On it. ultra simplistically said it will save lives absolutely and you mentioned that growing up you didn't necessarily like you kind of went with the flow you yeah. did what you were expected to do kind of thing um from from the healthcare perspective is there anything that you can think of that growing up a physician or other provider could have talked to you about or asked you that would have um made you feel differently than you just expressed? I I was extremely fortunate when I moved here. Um, 
I knew one person. Now you call that fortunate. Well, that's not the fortunate part. <laughs> the fortunate <laughs> part is that person was in the healthcare field, actually uh -huh. dentistry. Um, and she gave me a referral to UC for a number of professionals she was using. Uh, being a veteran, she actually went more towards the VA than I did. Well, mm -hmm. certainly, because I'm not. But um, she put me in touch with many physicians, uh, three in particular, my GP, uh, my endocrinologist, and my urologist. Yes, that's one thing I still have to do. Um, I was just amazed at the treatment that I got. The especially my urologist, I felt kind of bad for him because he never treated a trans person before. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually went through the entire process with him. Um, I went through a discussion about what it takes to make the transition. And he wasn't terribly helpful, but he was also willing to learn and willing to lend the ear. That's huge. Yeah. Um, I think ha everybody's human. So understanding that somebody's there to learn just as much as you are is powerful by itself. And the one thing I will say about this, this doctor in particular, um, I was not used to being called for the results of things like a biopsy. He called me, I'm doing a Chicago uh, convention and I'm asked to be a speaker there. And then the morning, I'm sorry, the evening before the next morning I was to give my talk, I could not sleep. I was just freaked out. I needed to know the results of this biopsy. He calls me. I'm in Chicago. He calls me and says they're negative. I cried for an hour. I was, I, it was the new lease of life he gave me. Mm -hmm. And it was, that's something I've never received from a doctor before. Um, UC's just been fabulous with me with doctors. I've never been ill-treated by anyone. Um, so from purely a healthcare profession, I would say that's really positive. I've had one not so good experience, uh, one volunteering for hospice care, but that's that's kind of a different story. Mm. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad that at least here in Cincinnati, you've had some awesome experiences. Um just you, as an FYI, my my endocrinologist uh -huh. was was one of my cheerleaders for when I announced that I was going to be getting uh, the surgery. She says, "It's about time." Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, let's see. Did you want to talk about your bad experiences with healthcare or any sure. trouble? Yeah, well, okay. Well, I think it's important to know. I detail it. I go to great pains in the book not to mention names or even cities right. or anything like that because it's that's really not important, nor is it in this conversation, this part of it. But it was, I volunteered to be a part of a hospice group to provide care to my focus. I profess this focus right away to them was that I want to be there for people that have no one. Mm -hmm. For the LGBTQ community that has no one whose family has either abandoned them or outright shunned them, um, I want to, nobody should be alone those last hours. So I wanted to train for that. So I did. I went to this group um, ready to be trained. I originally came to them in the old, I hate to say it, the male side. <laughs> um, 
And I did that purposely because I told them right up front, I said, this is what I'm going through. This is what you'll experience. This is what you'll see different. Because when you do the security check, it's under my old name. I mm. have not let changed the legal name yet. So you need to know all this. If you're not okay with that, I need to know that now so we can cut the garbage and move on. Or if you're good, let's let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready for it. So they said, fine, let's go through it. Um, I went through everything, all the training. I uh, did my first uh, supervised uh, internship, if you will. I, a, a few things that was actually focused at the 11th hour group at a nursing home. Everything went well. Uh, she says, okay, you're ready to go to your first assignment. And I did that following Sunday, right after church. I was with the patient at the 11th hour group for, I believe, 90 minutes. We just, we chatted and I knew she, I knew she wouldn't remember me from the next day because that's why she was there. But mm -hmm. it was important to have that connection. And I checked out with the nurse on staff. I said, I'll be back in a couple of days and I'll check in with you again and I'll, I'll visit with her again. Um, and I got a call that Monday. I was supposed to go back then on Wednesday. And I got a call that Monday from my supervisor there and said, we've had a complaint. I said, what? And what's really odd is she called me at work. And that was not particularly good. I was not out at work. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't understand why. Well, she explained that the the husband of the person that I was with was in the lobby and watched me all the time. And does not want me to return because you can read the rest. Mm. Um, that hurt a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And at work, I'm trying to keep myself somewhat disguised because I had no intention of coming out of work. Um, it was just extremely hard to take. Um, and I left work early and I finished my work at home at that point, but I had quite a few tears at that point. It just, that's, that's the way I responded to some of those things. Now, why um, this person didn't say, you know, we've kind of rethought this. We'd like to put you with someone else for the next assignment. Are you okay with that? Right. Um, instead of saying, well, we've had a complaint and this is why. Clearly that they were not okay with my transition or my announcement about that and kind of rethought their position. So uh, knowing that that was uh, pretty malicious, mm -hmm. I, I withdrew my volunteerism at that point um it's just it's that was hard that yeah. was that was probably one of the hardest experiences I dealt with I'm sorry that happened to you and I appreciate you sharing that with us Thank um you. reflecting back on it is there I mean obviously you talked about it was very malicious from their their perspective and I, I agree with that is there anything that you think maybe an ally could have done to step up and help out in that situation? Or do you think it was just best to part ways at that point? Well, I, I think the decision to part ways was probably the smartest way to go, but mm -hmm. it, it is likely to be, it's destined to happen again, 
happen again if that kind of thing repeats itself. I don't believe that the attitude at that uh, agency changed any because mm -hmm. of me. It may have been reinforced for all I know. So I think having an advocate there that could at least intervene enough to say, do you realize what you just said goodbye to? Right. Do you, do you realize this was someone that gave of themselves and was completely vulnerable and open to you in that process? And you tread, you stepped on that and you, you hurt them. Mm -hmm. Does that matter? Uh, I think that kind of a conversation would have been valuable. Yeah. May have, may not have netted any results, but at least it would have planted a seed. Right. And I, yeah, I agree. And I think planting the seed is super important because maybe it wouldn't have initially changed your experience, but like you said before, it might've changed things down the line. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what the book is. That's what my <laughs> entire testimony is about now. It's not for me. This is nothing. None of this, none of this is about me. I could crawl into a hole and no one would care. I would but care. <laughs> thank, thank you. But I'm, I guess I just mean it's it's too many in the community. And I understand why. Mm -hmm. Because of things exactly like this, why so many disappear once they've either transitioned or made their announcement or whatever level of, um, maybe they've gone as far as they want to go. Mm -hmm. And they just don't want anyone else to know anymore. They've, they've, you don't see a lot of people that have gone through their transition to the extent that I have that stay connected with the community. Many just don't. You just don't see or hear of them again. And this is one of those reasons. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, and I kind of touched on this with that question, but I guess moving into medical students, since that's kind of our main audience, Um what would you do you see any practical ways that we can best be LGBTQ advocates or allies? Oh, heavens, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I think a lot of people misunderstand the idea of what an advocate or ally is. We're not asking you to take a bullet for us. That's not the deal. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things that one can do that can all be behind the scenes. You can be the people behind the curtain. Um, you can be, you can table at events. You can uh, just attend events and become more insightful. Uh, understand the litigation that's going on against the trans community, the LGBTQs as a whole. Um, pronouns are always going to be an issue, but um, I have trouble with them. I mean, if you think, about the move from, in my world, from he to she, that's kind of easy. You can get your hands around that because it's pretty finite. Mm -hmm. um, there are those in non-binary that it's not that easy uh, or gender fluid. And the other thing is that it's not always overnight. Mm -hmm. It's hardly ever overnight. And there might be some going back a little bit. Um, I actually had a consultation with a mother uh, about her child one time saying, I wonder if you can help us uh, promise next week. And we want to make sure that uh, that she's ready for that. Can you help us get her over this in the next week? And I said, get her over what? This 
there's no timeline here. This isn't right. something that you can set your stopwatch to or your calendar. Um, I'm not telling you to be someone or something and you have 24 hours to make that decision. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recall a period in the early 2000s where I was trying to convince myself that I was, quote, bi-gendered. And you say, what's that? Well, in my world, it meant I have to play both worlds. I have to be put on a male face, which was not me. Clearly, mm-hmm. it was not me um, at work. And then I could come home and not have to worry about that anymore or weekends and social events and things like that. And my whole, I had no friends uh, in the work world per, almost purposely because of that. So there's, I think, having advocates and allies that understand that, mm-hmm. that can give some comfort to those in making transitions, making announcements, just having struggles with wondering where to go. Being a resource mm-hmm. is huge. It's just huge. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of us are kind of in our formative years and defining our physician identities right now um, and determining how we wish to practice medicine. So I hope that our audience takes some of this advice, if not all of it, and kind of works to incorporate it into how they will practice in the future. And and now, even as medical students, I think that we do have a voice and an ability to support and advocate and be allies and all these things. You guys are wonderful people. You are caregivers are a special breed because they are in it because they are caring people. You, by the nature of how you were born <laughs> and the, the DNA that you have gives you an innate understanding of people's character and, mm-hmm. and your own. Um, not everybody has that. And and you also have the technical insight and the the expertise to make treatments work for a, spe- a specific case. That doesn't come with just because you're you. You have to work for that. And I so admire people that are in this profession and then have to endure things like COVID years and treatment that way and fair pay for fair work. I mean, all these things. Wow. Um, my my heart goes out to you very, very much. So thank you for being who you are. <laughs> Don't let anybody stop you from what you're doing ever. Thank you. And talking to people like you really I, I don't know, at least for me, keep keep me going and realize why why we're doing the things that we're doing. So I appreciate you chatting with all of us today. I guess I would only add that um, once you get a healthcare professional that you click with as a patient, you really want to hang on to that. And I think having worked for an, an insurance carrier, actually a variety of insurance carriers, not in a health insurance mode, but commercial insurance mm-hmm. for most of my career. I know how they work and I know it's not always consistent with what um, treatment plans or treatment options that somebody needs or has. And in the trans world and that of LGBTQs as a whole, this isn't 
cookie cutter stuff. It's not like there's a lot of history or research behind it to prove that one system works for everyone. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. Um, I think the the hormone therapy is a hugely important thing, but it's also misunderstood by many. Uh, I got lucky because my endocrinologist was really, really good. She has since moved to children's, but uh, and I followed her. <laughs> um, but because I've got a cheerleader in her and she's been so insightful with so many things, um, you kind of grab onto that. But um, I'm sorry for droning. It's just... Um, oh my gosh, you're not at all. <laughs> they're just really, really important people. My GP is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. I was recently... This is what's really weird. Um, I met Dr. Gustin through mm-hmm. uh, kind of third part. If I work backwards, I met her on April 14th this last spring at at her at Amy Hobeck's first, I hope it's annual, um, conference on uh, LGBTQ healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I met Amy at a Madeira school board or faculty, I guess, meeting in November before that. So that would have been, what, 2020, mm-hmm. I think. I got my years right. Um, but networking is huge. And to me, anybody that can be involved in this to reach out to people, PFLAG meetings, um, Glesson, uh, GLAD, anything you can do to be connected with the community and learn more, you're, you're a leg up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you had those networking experiences that I think would, I, I feel like we can confidently say have ultimately led you to us today um, through yeah. some various connections, some telephoning, but eventually we, we locked you down so we could have this conversation. Um, and I, I, we've had some conversation previously and I feel like you have so much wisdom to share and at this point, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today? Patience is a big deal. Um, I don't believe I had a lot of it in myself for six decades. I was my own worst critic. I still am. But patience with yourself, patience with your patience. Um, I just think... Um, these, this time of our lives when hate is so prevalent, um, kill the world with kindness because nothing else is going to do a better job. Those are some awesome words of advice. Well, if there's not anything else, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, and I want to let the audience know that we will have some resources in our show notes. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Terry. Thank you for having me. Love the opportunity. It's been great chatting with you. And to all of those listening, especially those of us in the healthcare field, some final words of advice were shared with me from Terry. Trans and non-binary patients will enter your doors of practice when you least expect. And if you intend not to provide them with the treatment, You should strongly consider your motivations behind doing so and critically assess your presence within the healthcare field. And to those of you that are willing to welcome trans and non-binary patients with open arms, thank you.